All righty. All right, so back to the future revelation on end time events, um, seven objectives that we have for this series. And this is a list. And so this, I'm going to just do a little bit of review just because it's been a few months since we've done this. And uh, just to kind of bring you up to speed, but I'll go quickly over the pieces that are there. Refer back to the podcast where you can go back if you need further information. All right. So objective number one is to provide perspective into God's prophetic scriptures, right? Um, We say a prophecy is just God calling his shot in advance, and God declares the end before the beginning, tells you what he's going to do and does what he says. Number two, to illuminate end-time events in a way that is consistent with all other texts of Holy Scripture full of hope, faith, and love. So I shouldn't feel comfort... um, for 65 books, and then the last book, get all scared, right? It's all full of faith, hope, and love. Three, to acknowledge that God is both full of grace and mercy, but also judgment and vengeance. There are warming scriptures, but there are also warning scriptures. Four, to highlight patterns, principles, and personality profiles that appear repetitively in scripture, enabling us to look backward, but see forward. And um, that was one of our major things, and that'll Um, that we spent significant time on, because that's the secret sauce that makes what we do a little different than uh, some of my peers and contemporaries that deal with prophetic scriptures. I say it's all one book, so it all begins to show patterns over and again. Number five, to highlight a prophetic viewpoint that informs our view on global events, but it's not unduly influenced such that we try to conform Bible prophecy to current events resulting in speculation, not spiritual expectation. And that's why you won't hear me say, well, you know, there's this thing that's happening over somewhere in Europe, and that's the mark of the beast. You're trying to conform, and people try to fit stuff, and then when it don't work, then they come up with dates to say, this is going to happen by this date. You know, pumped and breaks. Okay, don't do that, because then it, then... You discredit the gospel when the truth is the truth all the way along. Amen? Number six, to motivate you to be about your father's business through an understanding of God's perfect time clock. The most exciting part of the game is in the final seconds. And then finally, number seven, to give you comfort, confidence, and hope that God has a plan for your deliverance from darkness as he ushers in a new age. You know, we... We have been in a series, our Sunday teachings, on destined for deliverance. And um, we've been thinking about it in terms of the fact that deliverance has to do with, hey, you know, hurts, hindrances, habits, strongholds, some of them of my own making, some of them of the world system, but that, um, that God's going to deliver us now the ultimate deliverance is deliverance from death to be present, ever present with the Lord. And so we are confident that as God rolls up the end of the age, that he still has a plan with my specific name on it in the name of Jesus. And that that's part of the deliverance that he has for me. All right. Now, um, eight critical perspectives on end time events. And we are um, we're really on number seven, but I had already dealt with number eight. So once we deal with this one, that'll essentially close this volume, and then we'll go in earnest into the um, book of Revelation, all right? All right, so these eight perspectives, 
critical perspectives on end time events. The first we said is the preeminence principle. Jesus is the subject. If you come out and read end time events and you think it's about the Antichrist more than it is about the Christ, you have done something wrong, right? Everything is about Jesus. The whole book is about him, right? So the last book of the Bible is no different than the other ones. Number two, um, we said that all the scriptures form a single book written by a heavenly author. It is 66 connected books, not 65 plus one appendix we aren't supposed to read or understand. So if I can read and understand the rest of them, there has to be a way for me to read and understand this one. All right. Um, number three, prophetic scriptures give us a sense of time, timing, and the times so that we can be in tune with the will of God in our generation, not drunk and disorderly like the world. A sense of time, understanding that time is short, that the end of time is at hand, understanding a sense of timing. God says that there will be signs of the time so that we would know when things are happening. Just like we can judge the weather and say, hey, man, you know, there are certain signs that are happening that tell me when the leaves start to change, I know fall meaning that winter's soon to come, right? Um, so a sense of time, timing, and the times, right? The Apostle Paul said um, the times gives us a sense of there are certain things that are happening in our age, right? Um, the, the Apostle Paul said in the last day, perilous times would come. And so we should not be surprised at things that he said would happen in the last days. If they're happening, then those are signs that we are in the last days, right? Just so that we can be in tune with God, because what we don't, the one thing, um, uh, when I was a young man, I, I used to love like Bugs Bunny. And it was always this one thing where Bug, Bugs would, uh, uh, Elmer Fudd would be hunting ducks or wabbits not rabbits, wabbits. And he would say, no, you can't, you're not supposed to hunt, hunt wabbits now because it's duck season. And then they would go back to say which season it was, right? And then, of course, inevitably, Daffy would get shot. And, um, but what, what key thing is, you would hate to be doing things for one season when it's a whole nother season um, of your life, Right? And so understanding timing helps us to do that. All right, number four, there is a principle of prophetic pattern repetition that occurs in Scripture. Often biblical scholars find one instance of prophetic fulfillment and lock onto it as if it was the only one. So some people will say, hey, man, you, you're reading this stuff about, you know, the Antichrist. That stuff was fulfilled you know, when um, in, in the early, early ages, when um, a ruler named Antiochus and Epiphanes, you know, put a pig on the Jewish altar, that was, it was done then. Hold it, hold it. You just locked in on one. But just because you saw one doesn't mean it's the only one. All right. We could look at a scripture and, and I did this. I did this statement that said, out of Egypt, I've called my son, right? That scripture clearly refers to one thing that happened in Moses' day, right? Because the children of Israel were called out of Egypt. 
it, it referred to Jesus because when Herod came to kill Jesus, they took him down to Egypt so that the scripture would be fulfilled, right? It also refers, you could say that when you got saved, that God brought you out. That's, there's a whole third thing because Egypt is a type of sin. And then I could take you in the book of Revelation where the two witnesses are called out of Egypt and then God calls them into heaven. So I can take one scripture and preach four messages, all four being true. What, that's, a, that's why um, I'm, I'm a little different than some of my peers that say, well, it's just got to be this. No, no, no. These things repeat over and over again. God says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. So I can look back and see what's going to happen in the future, because he told me I could. I'm not making that up. Jesus said that. All right? Then, number five, there is a prophetic, there's a pattern of prophetic types and shadows that foreshadowed the first coming of Christ. This is also true of the second coming, right? They looked back and they said, just like the Son of Man, like Moses lifted up a serpent. So it was going to be when the Son of Man comes, right? Jesus, God told Adam and Eve that the, the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. So he was always telling us things back that showed of his first coming, but there's also patterns that show of his second coming. All right. Praise the Lord. Number six. If you have my hand copy of notes, you know I got a lot of notes in here, don't I, Brother John? <laughs> Number six. Satan has always wanted to assume the place of God whether in heaven and on earth throughout history, that will not change. Now, why was that one um, so important? That's important because um, there, there are certain things where you'll see he's trying to imitate the role of Jesus, right? The scripture says, uh, Jesus said that there would be false Christs that would rise up and say that they are anointed, and deceive people, all right? And so that's one of the ways we'll know. Um, now, I understand that. Okay, how do I understand these things? Well, this person has false signs and wonders. They false signs and wonders. They're lying signs and wonders, the Scripture says, because he's trying to imitate Jesus, who has true signs and wonders. Amen? All right. Number seven... This is the one that we'll deal with today. There are three distinct groups that have collective destinies being dealt with by God. Um, the nations of the earth, the nation of Israel, and the holy nation, which is us, the church. And then finally, number eight, I'm not going to deal with this one again because I have proven and we dealt with this one previously um, and it's in the podcast if you want to go back and, and really understand it more in detail. There is a clear pattern in Scripture of, of diverging destinies, some miraculously saved, others horribly lost. There are people that believe in a doctrine of inclusion that says everybody gets the same destiny. But uh, you got to make up your own Bible if you want to believe that. The Word of God does not say that. 
It just, it just doesn't, all right? There's always been a picture in Scripture of people going in different directions, right? And that's why I'm making my calling and election sure, because I want to make sure I'm on the right team. All right, let's look at number seven one more time, because that's the one we're going to deal with today. And it says there are three distinct groups that have collective destinies being dealt with by God. One group is the nations of the earth, right? That's United States, that's Russia, that's China, that's um, North and South Korea, that's the nations of Africa, Latin America, right? The islands of the sea, the island nations, right? So nations have collective destinies. The nation of Israel in God's economy is a special nation all to itself. And we'll talk some about that. And there is a nation, a called out nation. It doesn't have um, a physical location, this called out nation. It doesn't have, um, you know, it doesn't have like an army that you can see, even though you are the army, <laughs> right? It doesn't have those things, but it is a nation nonetheless. And it is a holy nation and that has been called out, and that's us, all right? And so that's what we really want to spend some time understanding today, all right? And um, I have a scripture that I'll talk about this, but let me just talk to you about, about things, about how God informed my opinion or my perspective on, on the fact that these collective destinies are out there. Uh, as you guys may know, um, and certainly everyone here uh, does, and those that are on the broadcast may or may not know, I am an engineer, engineering uh, manager, kind of uh, first line, first level leader, uh, people leader in uh, the automotive industry. And so in the auto industry, we work on car programs before they actually get to the plant to make them, right? By the time they've gotten to the plant and people are building them physically, we've been working on them for years, right? I remember uh, the, the car that Apostle uh, drives um, was, big, it was a first, it was a brand new model in 2006. But by 2000, I was already working on that car. I was working on that car when 9-11 happened. Now, it was still three or four years away from being in production, okay? And so because of that, we are working on several different cars, several different, all of them all happening at the same time, all right? This one hits regular production this time, this one hits regular production this time, this one's going in this plant. Some of them are only built in one location. Some of them are built all over the world, right? And um, sometimes what happens is 
we'll start on cars and some, and it'll never make it to production. Sometimes we'll start on a car program and that program gets canceled. And then you're all frustrated because you done put all this sweat, work and energy, and um, doing all of this stuff, and then they cancel it. Well, if y'all was going, if that was all y'all was going to do, then why did I have to do it? Other times, you know, particularly like you go through a financial downturn, then they'll start, there'll be car programs that started. And then they'll say, we're going to stop this program right now. And we'll mothball it. We'll put it away. And then later on, we'll pick it up and start and continue on till we finish what we had intent originally intended to do. When I see what God shows me here, that's how God deals with the nations of the earth, particularly with the nation of Israel. Because there was a development plan for the nation of Israel. And then God put a stop to that, introduced a whole nother program called the church. And then scripture tells us he's going to go back and deal with that nation of Israel. All right. I'm going to show you that from the scripture. Okay. Um, Oftentimes, when we think about judgments and rewards when it comes to God, we think about it at the individual level. I must personally stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and God's going to deal with me as an individual for the deeds that I have done in my individual body. Now, this is certainly right, reasonable, and responsible. But we also have to acknowledge that there are patterns of judgments and rewards that not only affect individuals, but also affect families. Now, we know that. We teach that. That's why we're called Destiny Generation Church. Right? So we deal with the fact that, that the, the generational blessing can be bigger than the generational curse. But even within the family, each individual has to personally sign up, right? But if they do, then the blessing that was on the family can be on you. God, through the apostle Paul, told Timothy the faith that was in your grandmother, right? Lois is in your mother, Eunice, is also in you. It's a real faith. Each one of them had to hear God because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But grandma heard God and obeyed him. And then mama heard him and obeyed him. And then the grandson heard him and obeyed as well. So clearly there was a destiny working in that family. If you read the apostle Paul, he said in some of his epistles, he said, I serve God from my forefathers. He understood that there was a family blessing and he was just keeping it going. That's what all of us want, isn't it? Serve God in our generation and then have our kids come behind us and keep on serving him from generation to generation to generation. If you get your generations like that, then your family will have a generation of rewards, won't it? 
Well, if you're if you sin and they sin and they sin, then there's a generation of punishments. Now, what I'm telling you is that that's not just for individuals and also for families. In the biblical family, in the biblical pattern, families grew large and became tribes that became communities that became nations. And those same principles of reward and judgment apply at the larger level, too. Does that make sense? All right. One of the reasons why, you know, there is a lot of contention in the nation we live in around the political process, because everybody believed they got the lock on God. All right. So I was uh, going through an ordination process, and um, I have a, a, a group of people that we have a, 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 a monthly conference call. And we were talking about some issue. And one of my peers said, there, you can't be a Christian and be a part of Party X. I'm like, man, that's awful definite. That's awful definite. I mean, you know, you, 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 you said that like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like you was Jesus Jr. And um, I understand his perspective but I think he's making it, uh, he oversimplifying that thing. Because he's picking out his favorite issue. And, and, and there is some spiritual validity to the issue. But it's not the only spiritually valid issue. All right? Don't tell me you pro-life and you only pro-life till they get out the womb, but when they out, you can kill them and it don't matter. I'm just saying, come on now, if you really life, it don't just matter what they did in the womb, it's what happens when they get out, all right? And it, you can't be for law and order, and then when the law is lawless, you don't want to deal with it, okay? And so when we deal with these national judgments, we have to deal with things on how how laws, how sentences for, for crimes are dealt or are uneven based on specific background. It matters when you get in trouble, do you got money? Okay. And it matters, have you upset the system? Everybody was cool with Bill Cosby, but then when, you know, when Bill Cosby called what, who was not even yet our president <laughs> a knucklehead, then the whole system reacted. Because sometimes people, you know how you doing dirt, but it's okay until you come against something else, and then the system react on you? 
Okay, we have to understand that that's how, our, that's, how, that's how the Babylonian system of the world works. And for church people to stand behind a secular leader who is cussing and fussing and then say he's God's man, come on. Come on now. Come on. Don't, 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 don't play like, you know, come on. John the Baptist told Herod, you are an adulterer. Okay, where's, where's that speaking truth to power? All right, okay, all right. I'm... All right. So, um, the risk that all of us run is not allowing ourselves to sufficiently be redeemed from the nation that we live in in order to be the called out ones, the holy, the holy nation, the church. Because God isn't coming back for an American. I know you want God to bless America, but America better bless God. I, I know you think he's coming, you know, for, for the stars and the stripes. No, he's coming from the blood-washed one. Okay? So please, some of us are confusing our, our, our patriotism to the nation of the earth with our purity for the holy nation. And if you get that wrong, you'll be more identified with that nation, and that nation, whatever nation it is, is going to get judged. Because none of the nations of the earth, including the nation of Israel, is living out God's plan. The only nation that's living out God's plan is the holy nation, the church. And if you get that twisted, you'll somehow think you'll get you, you more of an American than a believer. All right. And if 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 you're more identified with that nation, you'll get the national judgment that goes with that nation and not get what gets goes with those who are in Christ, who've been redeemed from those nations. All right. Um, if. If you were to do a class, you know, when I was in high school, they don't necessarily do it the same way, but we took a class called civics. Anybody remember civics? Civics was the class that you took that taught you how to be a good citizen of your country, taught you how to... Um, how the government works, how laws were passed, how to participate in the political process. Um, how 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 uh, to get the Constitution amended? How to get a case before a lower court all the way up to the Supreme Court? How to run for political office at a local, county, state, or national level? Right. And so, um, the thing: if you were to do a class on spiritual civics. Understanding the need and nature of both your natural citizenship and your heavenly citizenship, how would you grade yourself and your nation? How would you grade yourself on whether or not you're using what God has given you as a nation to fulfill his will first and foremost? Right? 
Now, the Apostle Paul understood how to deal with being a citizen of Israel, a citizen of the Roman Empire, and a citizen of heaven. He knew how to deal. He knew, he knew when it was the time to say, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and they judge me because I believe in the resurrection. He also knew when to say, I appeal to Caesar. And then he also knew how to stand before King Agrippa and testify of Jesus, the King of Kings. All right. My question to you is, do you have a right sense of where you are in your nation, but are you still serving and acting on behalf of the holy nation? Because that's the one that's going to stand when the rest of them burn up. Amen? All right. So that's the thing that we'll, we'll deal with in this one, because we want to have a perspective on all three of those. All right. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 32. I'm going to read this one. I think I got it in the King James Version. This is where I said there's these three nations, the nation of Israel, the nations of the earth, and then the holy nation, the church. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, the nation of Israel, nor to the Gentiles, which are the rest of the nations of the earth, nor to the church of God. Now, remember, you once were those of us who were not from the nation of Israel by birth. We once were Gentiles, but we are not Gentiles anymore. When God called you out, he called you out from not having a covenant to being the church, having a new covenant adopted through Abraham. If Christ is in you, you're Abraham's seed and being brought into the church. All right. So it's, it's incorrect terminology to call us the Gentile church. You were a Gentile, but now you are in the church. Do you hear that? Okay. That's really important. So that's where we say, you know, the, the, those are, I don't want to be offensive to my national nation. All right. Now, <laughs> by virtue of my color, I'm offensive to some of them anyway, but that's story for a different day. I don't want to be offensive to the nation of Israel. God said he blessed those that blessed them, cursed those that cursed them. And I certainly don't want to be offensive to the church because that's the thing that's giving me my ticket out of here. Now, if I have to choose, I'm going to choose not to, to I'm, I'm going to be a friend to God even if it makes me an enemy in America. Right? Jesus said, you adulterers through James, you adulterers and adulteresses. A person who is a friend to the world is an enemy to God. All right? So I shouldn't be surprised if the system begins at some point to push back on my stand of faith. And I have to make a decision to stand for my faith or just go on down with the nation. And that's what I have to choose to do. Does that make sense? All right. Let's build our foundation. Look at Genesis 11. 
We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip down to read verses 6 through 9. Now, this is after the flood when, when Noah and his three sons began to populate the earth. All right? This is after Noah's flood. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, the land of Shinar. That's very important. And they dwelt there. Now look at verse 6. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse your language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased from building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, of course, one of the reasons that they were hindered by God was because they had gone against his direct purpose and direction, which was to populate the earth. It is interesting to note that at Babel, God confused their language, but at Pentecost, everyone heard the wonderful works of God in their own language, right? So they were against God. He confused their language, and then languages were developed from that point. And then people would, all of a sudden, they couldn't understand each other. And the groups that understood stayed together and began to move together until they populated the planet, all right? Now, this Babel, this Babel became Babylon. Let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. There's that Shinar again, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Now, that's very important because we understand, and we, we did before, we talked about mystery Babylon as being the world system. The world is always trying to get together and do something against God like they did in Babel, right? The whole, the whole concept of Armageddon is a system rising up against God as a whole humanity, right? Now, um, hold that thought. These are just things I'm kind of giving you some pegs um, there that we're building upon. Now look at Acts chapter 17, 24 through 27. In this scripture, um, the Apostle Paul is preaching um, at Mars Hill, and he's preaching. He goes to this, this place, um, this city, I think it was Athens, and in the city, they had all of these Greek gods. Remember, 
um, Greek thinking even influences the world to this day. Y'all, you did know that, right? That's why um, Greek fraternities and sororities, um, Greek temples in school, right? Schools that have um, their buildings, universities that look like Greek architecture, even our national um, national monuments in Washington, D.C. have some throwback to Greek thinking in terms of the architecture of our Capitol buildings. Amen? All right, now let's look at what the Apostle Paul said to the people. He said, God, who made the whole world, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So God, from one blood, verse 26, that's a, that's a pretty big verse. Go back to the top of verse 26. And he has made from one blood, the blood of Adam, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And God has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Thank God for making me in the good old U.S. of A. in the day that I live in. Hallelujah. And I was bad, but it could have been a whole lot worse. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Verse 27. Now, why did he determine the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of our dwellings? Verse 27 says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Then it goes on to say, in him we live and move and have our being. All right? So God put me where I am. He put me in this time, in this nation, so that I would have the freedom to find him and come to know Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you very, very much. Somebody say amen. Okay. Um, and thank God for the ancestors before me who were in slavery, and God heard them crying out, and he, and he came to deal with them and free and judge the nation. Judge the nation that they were living in by the shedding of the blood. More blood was shed, more American blood was shed during the Civil War than any other war. Now, that's not insignificant. They didn't shed a bunch of blood that of folks that look like you and me. Sure, they should. The Bible says, if you shed blood, your blood should be shed. Now, that may not, people may not get all excited about that, but that is how that goes. Because our ancestors was praying and believing God. And when I went to college, even though they didn't use these terms, the Holy Ghost said it to me 30 years before the emancipation, 30 years before African-American slaves began to get prophetic words that God was coming to deliver them from slavery. Historically, is documented. Now, if you get 
an African-American studies historian to tell you they won't use those words because they don't have the gospel language, but that's what happened. They began, God began, his Holy Spirit began to prophesy 30 years in advance that he was coming to get them, and he judged the nation and got them out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that he, he, he determined our times. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right? And so we have to understand this. This is why um, I know that there are people that look like me that call all people that don't look like me the devil. I can't do that. The Quakers helped us. You don't have an underground railroad without somebody being above ground to help you get to the next place. So I can't, I can't look at everybody that don't look like me and hate them. I can't do that. I know too much about the history. I know that God moved on them. I just wish more of their descendants was out there. I see the descendants of the ones who told us to stay in slavery, and they still, they, they sons and grandsons still up there talking. I just wish more of the ones who stood up for us would stand up for us today. All right, I, you see I get animated about this stuff. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God put the nations in place, but of all the nations he put in place, there was one special nation that he, he prophesied would come through Abraham. And it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so what do we get out of this? Out of all the nations, God appeared to Abraham and promised to make a special nation from him with incentives on how that nation would be treated. Blessing those that bless him cursing those that curse him. But they weren't blessed as a nation to just be a blessed nation. They were blessed as a nation to be a blessing to other nations. All right? Now, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to just go here. God told the children of Israel, Moses said, make sure you be nice to the foreigners that come into your nation, but because before you got here, you used to be a foreigner yourself in another nation. You were a foreigner in Egypt, so make sure you be nice to the foreigners that come here. How does a nation made of immigrants hate people that's coming here to immigrate? Okay, I'm just asking questions. I'm asking questions to the Christians. The heathen do what heathen do. Sin is what sinners do. But I'm asking the question to the people whose parents came here from Europe looking for religious freedom. You is the one I'm asking the question to. I'm just saying. 
All right, that's, that's free. Now look at Deuteronomy 31. You getting something out of this? Look at Deuteronomy 31. This is the end of Moses' ministry. Remember, God raised up Israel as a special nation, and they started out as a family primarily in, in Abraham's day, but by Moses' day, they had become the nation. And then God began to use Moses, who was their primarily their first national leader, to begin to give them a national prophecy. And let's look at it, and we're going to read some of Deuteronomy chapter 31 and then chapter 32. Deuteronomy 31, I'm going to read 16 through 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. We have to be careful when we are among nations to not attach ourselves to such to them that we take on the national gods. And in the United States of America, money is a national god. The scripture says you can't serve God, not serve God and the devil, but God and mammon. Mammon is a money system. Listen, if it comes to doing right or keeping the money flowing, they're going to forget doing right and keep the money flowing in the country. You can follow the money, honey. Always, if you, you want to understand the politics follow the money. If you want to understand why we have wars, why there's, I mean, there's whole things that come out like, now you can say, is it a conspiracy theory that when Bill Cosby was trying to buy NBC that that was when they came and got him? I don't know, but follow the money. I'm just saying, just follow the money. You can always follow the money. Okay. You can always follow the money, all right? They will jack a specific individual up, even though it's wrong, if it keeps the money flowing. Say what you want to. <laughs> all right, verse 17. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done, and that they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write down this song for yourselves, and teach it to the children of Israel, put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel, when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them and will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior even before I have brought them to the land 
of which I swore to give them. You know, songs have a way of sticking in your head. They call it earworms. You know, how? have you ever had a song that you couldn't turn off? And then it just kept going in your head. You was trying to do something else, but the song kept going. You know what I'm talking about? That's what God said. I'm giving them, a, I'm giving them prophetic earworm. They're not going to forget the words. So the song's going to tell them this is why this stuff is happening to y'all. Now look at chapter 32. Then he begins to sing the song Moses does. It says, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as rain, as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, and raindrops on the tender herb and as showers of the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Now skip down to verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. You know, um, you go back and read some. I have some of the early... um, Jewish commentaries and the studies of the uh, Jewish historian Josephus. And um, they'll tell you things like, like he said, God put Israel in the prime location. Now, remember, when he did it, there was no planes, trains, or automobiles. Israel was a land bridge between Africa, Europe, and Asia. So if you wanted to have intercontinental trade, everybody had to stop through Israel on their way. Okay? God gave them a prime piece of real estate. Even now it's called the Middle East. So if you if you were coming up from Africa, because Egypt... It's not in the country, but Egypt is in Africa. They was black folks, I know. You know, we called it the land of Ham when we was when we was cursing and enslaving folks, but then we trying to knock their nose off and say they look like, you know, Elizabeth Taylor. Stop that. Stop. Just stop. Anyway, there was this land bridge. God gave them a prime piece of real estate and he put them in a prime place. But the intention was that people would travel through there and they would see the real God. Not that Israel would learn what those gods are. Those people were supposed to learn who Israel's God was. Right? Um, In the early days, God said, when you turn your back on me, I'm going to judge you by how the nations misuse you and mistreat you. If you don't hearken to me, Deuteronomy 28, the nations will take you and enslave you and do all of this stuff to you. So that's how it was at the beginning. In the end of time, God will judge the nations by how they treat the nation Israel. Let's look at this, and this is as far as I'll get today. Matthew chapter 25, verse... 31 through 36, Matthew 25, 31 through 36. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides sheep nations from goat nations. Not personal, national, right? And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, a foreigner, and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, as surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Hold it. Stop. Stop. Stop the presses. Stop. Stop. I got to be careful them kids I'm putting in cages at a border. One of them might be the least of those his brethren. I know, I know that, I know your political process, that, that ain't cool. for Because you, you for strong borders. And, I, and listen, I'm not saying we got to have, I, I believe in laws. I just, I just hate it when the person who should be the lawgiver is lawless himself. We're a nation of laws until you don't like the laws, then you call it fake news. That's a law. That's a law, right? It's the same. The rest of the laws is in there. Freedom of the press. That, that, there's an amendment in the Constitution for that, too. So, so, you know, and then some of this is just, you know, dog whistle for, for your racism. But see, now you may be able to pass that. And then you may even have church leaders and stuff passing that. But one day, Jesus is going to judge it all. And if you are more of an American than you are a Christian, you're going to get judged with those people. So I got to be careful. Got to be, you know, I'm not, that's why I'm saying you got to really, listen, listen. You, 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 should, you should have fasting and praying when it comes time to vote. You, you, should, you should be very serious about this stuff. You shouldn't just run in there and be all glib and just push a button and walk out. It's deeper than that. Because nations will get judged. I, I got to be, I, I can't, you know. Now listen, I didn't come up and tell you one side or the other because the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah, is neither a donkey or an elephant. All right? So if somebody think that one side got the lock stock on God, clearly they're not paying attention. I don't care who they are. They're not paying attention. 
What they are is whitewashing, yes, and I use that pun intended, whitewashing their own specific thing and then making it God. Stop that. All right. I'm going to calm, calm down, Pastor David. Yes, sir. All right. What, what scripture was that on? What verse is next? 41. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And look at all of the stuff that people are being cursed for. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. Man, I could go to hell for not having benevolence as a nation. I was a stranger, a foreigner, and you stopped me at the border and didn't take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. You just wanted the prison industrial complex to hide me away because you was making money on me being in prison. You didn't want to minister to me. You didn't want to rehabilitate me. You wanted to profit off my off of my slavery. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And there, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into ever into eternal life. So listen, we as the citizens of God can't get so patriotic and act like, you know, when Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, he stopped by Washington, D.C. Stop that. Just stop it. Stop that. Listen, we have to be, we got to be more wise than that, y'all. I can't, I can't get into a black history month and then coming out like Louis Farrakhan saying all white people is the devil. Stop that. You can't do that. God calls people out of all nations. He said, God is no respective person. Out of every nation, those that fear him and do righteousness is accepted by him. God is not a respective person. He's not going to check. He's not going to check whether you're the majority or the minority. He's not. If I let that stuff get into me more than I let God get into me, I'm going to be judged with that. because He is judging that. Scripture says one of the signs of the end time is that nation will rise against nation. The Greek word there is ethnos, where we get the word ethnic. Ethnic conflict is a sign of the last days. But God is not in that, y'all. I'm not, that didn't tell, that's not telling you I'm going to be your doormat. I didn't say that neither. But I can't let that stuff get in my heart. I can't let it force me to hate because the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. All right, God has these nations, the nations of the earth, the nation of Israel, his special covenant nation, his special covenant nation, 
and then the holy nation of the called out ones from every other nation of the earth. I'm going to be in that third nation, and I'm not going to offend it. I'm going to stand there because that's the thing that I'm trusting is going to make sure that I'm, I'm ready to meet my Lord in the last day. Somebody say amen.